Hello and welcome to the Financial Marketeer interview series. This week I'm delighted to be joined by Patrick Muir. Patrick has gone from helping to launch the UK's first internet bank to revolutionising the way Morgan Stanley markets its credit card products. Without question one of my most richly experienced guests on the show to date, Patrick gives his take on the state of marketing in banking and insurance, as well as providing advice to help high-functioning marketing teams get the best work done. This is a must-listen interview for anyone working in finance marketing, so please enjoy. Thank you very much for taking the time to speak to me today. I, I wanted to start with a pretty big question, but based on your, you've, you've had a career that's focused quite a lot on marketing and financial services. So I wanted to ask you a big question in terms of what makes marketing in finance different to other forms of marketing? It's a very good question. And, and having seen quite a few people come in at senior marketing jobs from you know retail, travel, airlines, every so often companies you work for work with go you know i think we should think of ourselves not like financial services but more like brackets put any industry like there and then go and find someone and they come in full of great ideas about how to take sort of variable seat pricing from the hospitality industry into running a credit card kind of profitability um and there's a sort of period of deflation that then happens because the vast majority of their ideas are either unexecutable for a regulatory point of view or from a finance or legal point of view sort of can't be done. So we exist in financial services marketing in, in, in quite a rigid box um, for good reason, um, laid down by various regulatory bodies, advertising standards, uh, the law, um, and in some cases, depending on where you're working, sort of the, the brand um, that you're working within. And as marketers, one of the big differences we have is we have to create and deliver very precise campaigns with zero margin for error um, inside this quite tight box. And to be able to think creatively within that box requires very strong skills and knowledge in kind of the the what makes up those boundaries so whenever we're sort of building a marketing team you know i always always stress to um the young people that we bring in that the, the the path to success is is paved with your knowledge and understanding of of the walls of that box so your regulatory knowledge has got to be very good your legal knowledge has got to be very good and your financial knowledge about how the business model actually works has got to be very good so you've got to be able to talk that language to the experts in your company in those fields and if you can do that the ideas that you have and the creative creativity you have will be will be fed by that knowledge not sort of knocked back um by it every time you come up with an idea you don't want to be hearing from compliance no you can't do that and that very soon kills all the creativity in that, in, in that individual and eventually in the team. So I think that's the big difference between financial services and, and many other industries is, is we have zero margin for error. If you put out a campaign, you target the wrong person, you send the wrong thing to the wrong person, it can have significant ramifications. Um, and also this, this, this narrow box of, of very rigid walls that we have to create inside um 
means there's a level of understanding that has to be there in order for you to sort of thrive in the in the industry yeah it's, it's really interesting because and, and the thing i'm kind of interested to to learn about is when somebody is starting out so i mean you've been successful in building marketing teams people you've recruited how have you helped them to understand the parameters that they work within and understand that rigid box that they're in and how to think creatively in that yeah so i go back my first my first sort of proper direct marketing role was at um, lombard bank up in enfield part of the natwest group and the lombard group and um i've been asked to go and get some stuff signed off by the, the head of legal and um full of full of enthusiasm sort of went into his office with this thing saying you um asking for a sign off and i just got this tirade of abuse from about you marketing people are always coming in here with stuff and it's always the same problems and the same mistakes and you know i can't be expected to and you i'm sure we've all heard it before and i thought i don't want to go through this again so i said to him straight away look okay i'm i'm just learning some of this stuff so what if i write a tip sheet for the kind of common mistakes and what you don't want to see and what should always be in place every time it's it comes in for a sign off and if you sign off my tip sheet and say yeah that's all that's all correct you seem to understand it i promise you i'll never bring anything in again that that sort of transgresses any of these laws and and that's what i did and i i can't say we didn't have other arguments but they were about other matters and so i carried that through so when when you're sort of bringing in people into the industry marketing is i depending on on how bullish i'm on the day i encourage them or tell them <laughs> but their objective is is basically to write their own version of this um so from a regulatory and legal point of view these are the things that must always be in place and, and we all know you know stuff around apr prominence and disclaimers and risk statements and all of that stuff um and just have it there and the act of writing it down and understanding it and having it sort of signed off if you like by your own internal legal people just sort of cements it into your head that that's always got to be the case um mm. finance is a little harder because quite a lot of businesses <laughs> have become quite complicated but in terms of running a savings business or a credit card business or a personal loans business or even a wealth management or investment business actually how the numbers work in terms of profitability are, are relatively simple you know bringing in a new customer or 100 new customers if you're running an investment management business is is brilliant um but if they're all bringing in 500 pound investments actually it's probably costing you more to manage them than it, than you're getting from it so basically again colluding with finance to provide members of your staff with a good understanding of actually how the PL works and um, balance sheets these days are way too complicated for humble marketers to really get their heads around um again that's that's a, a constant learning process to understand where your campaigns can really show up in terms of the PL. um and by having finance sort of colluding with you i remember at morgan stanley when i joined we had a woeful relationship with the finance team um basically what you sometimes find in businesses is the the marketing team claims successes and then the finance team sit there grumbling that 
actually what well, you say that's a success actually that's been a disaster it's cost us money it's not doing as well as you think it is so building models for financial impact that finance have signed off or at least are throwing rocks at when you present them so that everyone agrees what's working and what's not working and by having in a larger company having all of the different analyst communities because you can have risk analytics finance analytics marketing analytics but these people all kind of singing off the same hymn sheet so that when someone says something everyone else is broadly in agreement is hugely helpful to the ceo because nothing drives a ceo more mad than them saying to their finance guys oh, i see the the latest campaign from marketing looks like it's been a great success and finance going no well, our guys have looked at it and it's a disaster um they want a common source of truth as does the rest of the business so actually putting in place in a larger larger team formal structures where your junior staff are producing their their sort of uh, regulatory and legal kind of do's and don'ts and they're they're sort of going through some form of structured training in terms of how the PL works in their particular field makes them grow as as um as areas of influence and i think at risk of sort of wandering off down a different rabbit hole sort of one of the things that i've observed in the last where are we seven or eight years is the degree to which marketing has become less influential in financial services sort of faced with with the tsunami of different regulatory changes and financial changes and financial challenges that actually marketing has become in a many 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 businesses kind of lead generation um, as opposed to having an influence about ultimately you know the four p's that we all know and love about what products we should be selling how we should be selling them who should we should be selling them to um, and the only way of getting that back is by having your feet under the, the big table um, and being able to talk risk being able to talk analysis being able to talk customer and being able to talk finance with with those communities sure that makes a lot of sense there there are a couple of things i want to sort of follow up on with that i mean the first was you were talking about the idea of um teams acquiring knowledge about the legal framework and and the parameters they're working within do you think that finance more so than maybe other industries lends itself well to marketers who want to specialize in that and stay within it because they can take that important regulatory knowledge and use it throughout their career rather than maybe other industries that value people from different sectors who bring a different point of view do you think they perhaps have a disadvantage when moving into to marketing uh, into finance um yeah so uh, these these this knowledge and these these skills are you know have to be studied and and, and learned and understood. Um, and that becomes a transferable skill across across finance. So, you know, some parts of uh, financial services are more complex than others, but basically they all require those same, same degree of understanding, whether you're marketing a wealth management platform or you're, you're marketing um, ISAs or you know, credit cards and loans etc um and that's that's transferable outside but because of of those skills and because of the regulatory side of the business traditionally financial services marketers 
probably earned a little bit more than their peers in in many other industries um and as a result you find less financial services marketers moving into say retails or airlines or, or you know there are of course there will be people listening to this who go well i know so and so did that and so and so did that but it's, it's not such a common career path and then from coming outside of financial services marketing at a certain level at a more senior level into it it's a bit harder when you get up to sort of very you know, head of brand roles type things where it's very specific about brand and design um i think there's a lot more cross fertilization that has been done and can be done um but again sometimes they get a bit lost in the what you can and can't say and what you can and can't claim i mean it's the same dealing with agencies um and that's the advantage of using agencies is is you can get the experience from different industries um, and then you have to use your marketing team to kind of knock the edges off in terms of making sure it's it's compliant and saying the right things and something else i wanted to sort of follow up on was um you mentioned the idea that uh, something that's perhaps been lost in marketing in recent years is the you know the classic four p's and i think from my own observation a lot of people their, their view of marketing is that it is, is that marketing communications is all they know it's sort of getting the word out there but they don't often consider the product you know the role that marketing plays in planning the product the setting the price i mean how can um in your experience are there teams that are successful at kind of bucking that trend and what can marketing teams do to to get back into uh into a position to be able to influence that other stuff it's really it's really difficult um and you know some of the roles that i've had have been immense <laughs> the spread has been immense in terms of the influence on those things including customer experience and but as you say marketing is an approach to business it's not a business function so the idea of understanding your customer designing products that meet a customer's needs and meet it profitably and then being able to present the customer with that product through the right channel um, at the right time and measure it all is kind of the essence of it and when you get to the part of it is, is down to scale when you get to the very big companies they tend to operate in huge global manufacturing silos because their model says that's the most efficient way of operating it. So the product has a, a global silo. And then marketing is a country activity that sort of cuts across that. And I have experience of trying to get feet under the table of the bigger conversation um, in those environments. And it's not easy because you you have no right to do it. Um, so you're either in an organization that, that is a marketing led organization, in which case, you know, you're, you're, you have an authentic and powerful voice at the table. You're the voice of the customer, you're a voice of the market and how that then gets into those, those various elements of the P's um, in that business is, is kind of written. Or if you're in a big company with these big global silos, you have to become a bit like uh, Henry Kissinger, famous diplomat, um, and strike deals with people. Um, and the deals I struck um, with colleagues at, at Citigroup were 
were basically, look, I, I can't, I get you're in charge of the product, you're part of this great big global P&L called whichever product it was. Um, you know, if you engage with me on what I need to do to do my job really, really well, I promise you, you'll have the best marketing with the best results that you, you've ever seen. But I can't, if you just want to sort of send me bits of paper saying, do a campaign that does this, do a campaign that does that, we, this won't work. Now, this conversation and, and that sort of journey took sort of 12, 18 months to get there to a point where we were now engaging with the product teams on, right, what did we want to do in three, four, five months' time? So you have to look six six months down the runway sometimes in the planning cycle to say, right, you know, you're going to be coming up to the tax year end. You're going to be doing a load of ISA campaigns for your investment product. You know, we need to be start planning that now. Um, and in order to do that, right, what have we learned from the stuff that we've done before? And start to bring the analysis and the understanding of what works and doesn't work. But the deal is, by engaging with marketing in doing that, you're going to end up with results that are going to make you look fabulous in front of your boss. Um, and basically, that's the only way I found to, to, to start to get to a point where and it's not about who's in charge and who has what on their job description. But it's just about being able to influence enough of the four P's to make sure that the results that you get result in great campaigns and great outcomes for the organization. And if you do that, marketing starts to have more and more influence because we only have that influence as marketing because what we do works better than the other way. Mm -hmm. Makes a lot of sense. And it's, um, it sort of highlights that your role as a marketer is both to, you have to obviously communicate what the organization does to the outside world, but you also have to communicate internally and, and try and kind of tie tie different groups together to um, make a better, well, better product or something that matches better with what's needed. Yeah, the, 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 um, uh, then the pressures are actually the same. So I've, I've been in both camps. I've been, you know, I've been CMO where you've had all of the elements of the marketing mix and, and were completely at your, your um, disposal. And there's a huge pressure on that because if it doesn't work, the buck stops with you. So it has to work. Um, and then if you're in a global silo business where you're sort of having to do these deals and, and say, you know, if, 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 if you let us in and get our feet under the table, then I promise you you'll have much better stuff and better results and you'll look good, then that has to work. So there's, there's a degree that the degree of jeopardy is the same on both sides. Um, and the results of it all working are the same on both sides. It's just a different approach. Mm. And and in your experience, does is is one approach naturally better, or are they do they both have their merits? The stress is the the stress is the same. <laughs> um, it is much much easier to integrate when you have direct control of all of the elements of of the marketing mix to do genuine integration. And by genuine integration, we don't mean. Um, a lot of brand people regard is like the color schemes the same, the logo is the same. If you're using a particular character in the TV ads, then they appear in the branches or whatever. But by integration, we mean who we're talking to, the product, how we're marketing the product has a huge, you know, the channel that we use has an influence on how customers regard us as a business. Um, all of these things sort of tying up 
and then how the how the profitability of the product works that's that's what i understand as integration as opposed to just visual integration which is how a lot of people these days increasingly see it so being able to to genuinely integrate your approach to business your product your customer and your channels and all of those good things genuinely integrating that together does have a demonstrably better outcome for the business than not yeah absolutely um and it's probably a good time to ask about something else i wanted to talk about which was um your time working with egg so egg was obviously the first um digital bank and I, before this chat i was i was sort of reminding myself of some of the old television adverts um and i, I came across ones that yeah. lots of, like the uh, one born every minute sort of approach where the ads were uh kind of posing the problem that if you're not looking after your money yourself others aren't going to look after it for you um so when you were working at egg what was it like sort of i, I guess you were developing everything from the ground up from a marketing point of view did you have that total sort of overview of everything yeah egg was egg was fascinating we were a we were a big experiment really um set up by mike harris previously mercury one-to-one one of the original mobile phone networks and first direct um and um quite a visionary guy and he wanted to build a company built where we were the people would be managed by values more than just metrics so his belief was if you take a bunch of bright people and get them together and give them the right context i.e what you're trying to do and how you're trying to do it they will start to do the right things as opposed to the sort of american command and control type stuff and um that made it quite lively and pretty much if you ask any egg people you know what was it like they'll say similar things around we didn't always agree with each other and there were huge rows and arguments at times, but we've never worked in an environment with so many people you respect and admire um, in terms of, you know, what, the, what they were doing and their skill set. And we invented a lot of stuff, but we started off as effectively a telephone based organization. And we launched and we completely overcooked the launch, got too many customers in. And one of the bright ideas we had for reducing the, the amount of paper that was coming into the business in terms of people opening savings accounts and stuff, sending in application forms was to go online only for applications for savings accounts. And we had this huge uh, project to sort of figure out, well, how can we, how can we stop the, the wheels coming off completely? Um, you know, offering people's deals on computers and free internet access. And we had, um, computer helpline set up and all the rest of it made the switch and we didn't notice any drop off in applications at all but now now they were all coming in online and thought at that point ah well this whole online thing has got a lot further than we thought and that's when a credit card internet only credit card and all of the other stuff came along and it, it was a constant flow from then on of different initiatives you know first investment supermarket you know, person-to-person -person payments, I think we did in 2001. Um, we did the first kind of open banking application in 2001 with um, with um, 
egg account aggregation and stuff like that. And it was just constant, constant innovation. And that included the marketing. So we figured if we're going to be an internet bank, the place we need to show up and innovate is where we market, which is our primary channel, needs now to be um, the internet. And so we created a model where the TV advertising and the internet advertising were sort of the the spindle, if you like, around which the other marketing went round. Um, but internet marketing, you know, early early on was maybe a banner on AOL's ISP or FreeServe with a homepage takeover on their ISP. Um, and basically what you did in the old days, you, you went and you got a whole stack of um, inventory from one of these ISPs. Um, and you got what you were given and you got X million eyeballs and some of that was good and some of that was less good. And so quite early on, I figured that actually from my provenance, which was direct marketing, I'd seen Alliance from Leicester. Basically, if you're selling personal loans and you're doing loose lease inserts into magazines, the best place to, to stick those is in car magazines but alliance and leicester who were doing a lot of loans business back in the day in the 90s had bought up the rights to do that with like what car auto car those sorts of magazines for years so we couldn't get in at lombard at all and i thought i don't want that happening to us with egg so we basically we did deals where we were buying up the rights to to market certain financial services products on ISPs for you know for a year we basically bought the internet um, and then that moved into well again direct marketing point of view you want to variableize as much as your market spend as possible so we started to approach people like AOL saying well can we do a pay-per-click deal and no 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 we're like publishers you pay to be in AOL you, you can't do that and eventually we persuaded some people that it might be more profitable for them to do it this way um, so we did the first pay-per-click deals that turned into paper paper customer deals um the formats we were using changing all the time expandable banners into stitchels skyscrapers you know all of this stuff was changing around us as was the regulation initially when internet started the regulator you know our internal risk people and compliance saying well you have to treat it like a piece of direct mail and you have to have all the, the usual risk warnings on every single bit. So we argued long and hard that actually that we should treat this more like turning the pages of a, a brochure rather than you know having to have everything on a single advert. You just wouldn't be able to fit everything on there. So there was an awful lot of change going on, which created an awful lot of tension. But in the middle of all that probably came the, one of the one of the most interesting pieces of work that i've done which was in the spirit of integration in the spirit of what i described earlier in terms of regulatory and financial is i wanted a model that tied everything together so we could we could genuinely see the results of what we were doing not just on what had happened how many customers we brought in and what they looked like but also the impact of what the advertising we were having on was on our existing customer and what the decay rate was of 
of the benefits of that advertising on future sort of cost per customer. So Mediacom, the agency we were using at the time, I produced this stick diagram of how I thought it worked. And basically, a lot of people get very interested in brand awareness um, and prompted awareness and stuff like that because it's good for boards because you show you've got 85% of something. It's better than showing you've got 10% of something. But what I noticed early on was if, if brand awareness jumped from 80 to 85%, we didn't really see any difference in our marketing metrics. But if, if unprompted consideration moved from, say, 8% to 9%, we'd see a big bounce in our, the effectiveness of our marketing. So I then started to look a bit further and saw also that when unprompted consideration bounced, activity within the customer base improved. People bought more products, they used their credit card more, they were more transactional. <clears throat> so we produced a huge pace of um, regression modeling to look at the impact of what we were doing, our spend, our relative spend against competitors, the weather, a whole lot of data points went into it and basically produced an econometric model that was a 90-something percent accurate, not just in what we were spending and its impact on, on future um, marketing effectiveness, but also on customer activity. And this, this then ended up being the pivotal kind of center of truth for our conversation with finance and with, the, you know, with, with management on how much should we be spending? What should we be doing? What was the trade-off between sort of handing back marketing dollars at the end of the first quarter and, and what that would mean in terms of customer activity? And we started to build marketing activity that talked to existing customers as much as it talked to new customers and something that people still don't do to this day. And we figured out that if we constructed our ads and our narrative and communications in a particular way, we'd get back something like 70p in the pound of every dollar we spent on TV just in improved existing customer kind of engagement and activity. Um, and that, that, you know, and that model was used over and over again, and I think Mediacom still use it around the world as their, their sort of 365 planning tool um, but it provided a very interesting analytical kind of backdrop and proof point uh, of what particularly in direct marketing we've been talking about for years which is the value of integration that was a very long answer to a very short question i'm sorry for that <laughs> no no it's, re it's really interesting stuff um and i think would it, would it be fair to say that something that maybe uh, well, I suppose at the your time at Egg was perhaps building something quite disruptive. You were you were changing the, the team at Egg was changing the way things were done. Um, is that is that a thing that's gone through your career? Would you say? Where possible, and yeah, you know, marketing has to show up. Communications have to cut through. Um, but it, unless it does that, you know, nothing happens at all. And and to do that, you've got to maybe take a risk. You've got to take a risk either with, you know, the punchiness of your product um, or, or how you're presenting it. And there's always a fine line between sort of being punchy and cutting through and upsetting people. And you should never try and upset people. 
<clears throat> but it's that disruptive attitude. You know, you're putting stuff out there in the world for people to react to in marketing. Whether that's reacting to a product, reacting to a piece of communications or, or whatever it is. And unless you're doing that, unless you're looking to get a reaction, then I, you're, you're, you're wasting time and money. And you know, we hear disruption. I mean, it used to be used a lot, you know, 10 years ago. But but it's used all everything is disruptive now, isn't it? And every new banking license, you know, the disruptive, a new bank bank disruptor, challenger. And if I'm honest, it's not clear what people are challenging anymore. We I mean, you know, we were lucky at egg that we hit the right point at the right time with the internet as a big thing, and it was you know, every time we looked at it, it was getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And that that was our reason. That was the thing. We were revolutionizing customers' experience of financial services through the power of the Internet was our internal mantra. And I just wonder how many challenger, disruptive things, brands, businesses out there at the moment actually are really clear on what they're disrupting and why. And therefore, how you're marketing yourself, how that how that actually lives in how you're presenting yourself to the customer because just handing google or facebook a couple of million quid to send you the traffic that they deem through their algorithm is is what you what you should be having doesn't feel very disruptive so i i think it's overused and underused if you know what i mean it's overused in terms of people saying it but it's underused in people delivering it yeah yeah that makes sense and and i mean i was talking about some some more of your experience i noticed um in the list of firms you've been involved with um sherpa which which mentions the concept of disruption again in terms of insurance is that is that a good example of a firm that that is um actually trying to use disruption and, and be disruptive uh, sherpa's sherpa's fascinating um and i've been working with them for four years now um and what sherpa is trying to do so what, what the insurance industry has done is basically alienate themselves from their customers. The original purpose of insurance, which is to, is to basically indemnify you against risk to the point at which you can carry on living or trading, whatever it is you're doing, <clears throat> because the worst, the worst has happened, but you've been protected financially from the results of it. It's a really powerful thing. And, I, and when I'm explaining insurance to people say if we didn't have car insurance no one particularly today would dare drive the financial ramifications of bumping into someone you'd have to pay for you know the repairs to their car whiplash injuries whatever you know it 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 would be a nightmare but insurance kind of makes it okay to drive around um and so it is with all our other forms of insurance but because of how they price new customers versus existing customers all of the innovation in insurance has been around making you know how you can get more quotes for things means the actual value of insurance has disappeared and, and people's knowledge of it and what it's doing for them and whether they have the right amount in the right areas is just completely gone and it's just meerkats and superheroes and opera singers telling you to get a quote 
what Sherpa is, is basically trying to turn the narrative back into providing a 360 degree view of an individual's life, the risks that they might have in their life, the financial ramifications of those risks and how well protected they are. And then in a in a in the same way as a credit score, it shows you your 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 score out of a hundred in terms of right, you you're very good, you've got your car insurance, you've got home insurance, you look well covered there, but you've got nothing to cover you if you can't work for illness, sickness or whatever else. And here are two or three things you could do to improve it. So it's kind of a model that produces a score that, that helps people understand their their personal risk environment and what they can do and what they can do isn't always buy another policy it could be increase your savings by 50 pounds a month or whatever else and it's basically throwing the whole conversation insurance back to the customer in terms of the need and the benefit and then ultimately one day is to produce an insurance policy that covers you for all of these things that will just change over time so it's it's very disruptive in terms of what it's doing to the customer's conversation about insurance and it has quite an emotional impact on people when we've when we've done focus groups and taken people through the score people get quite alarmed by by what they're showing so it has an emotional reaction to people so it's quite disruptive in that way as well so you have to be able to help the customer at that point meet their needs so sherpa's at the moment, it's it's being hugely successful in um, it has a large development partner in Asia, um, and they they're developing the service and how that fits into an existing insurance provider in Asia. <coughs> um, a couple of markets initially, but potentially rolling out further, and they've just launched in uh, the US with a large employee benefits uh, provider in the US. So it's sort of looking, it's looking at different markets and, and, and where it can benefit consumers in those markets. But it's bringing the conversation back to the customer, between the customer and the, the, the provider in a very needs kind of focused way, as opposed to just trying to hoof product out the door, which is effectively what the insurance industry has been doing for the last 20 years. Um, but as I always say to them, Chris Kay, who's the CEO there, and Greg, uh, Sherpa, <clears throat> disruption's difficult because actually consumers don't like disruption very much. What we like is the status quo and everything bubbling along. And disruption means you're you're having to punch a hole in that status quo and mean people have to change things, change how they think about stuff, how they react to stuff and potentially who they use as a provider. So it's got to be good enough to live up to the disruption to make it worthwhile for the customer and that's that's when you start to get significant traction and momentum yeah for sure it makes a lot of sense something else i wanted to ask about is from a it's, it's probably a naive thing to say but you know looking at some of your experience with egg and with sherpa they're quite disruptive brands they're quite exciting consumer facing brands and then you've got experience working with a firm like morgan stanley and from the outside that would perhaps feel like a more traditional, more conservative approach type financial institution. Is that um, sort of viewpoint, does that come across when you're, you're working with these brands or, or is it, are they all as sort of pushing forward as much as each other? 
No, they all have different personalities and you have different, you have different um, permissions, both internally and externally. So that was, that was very um, pertinent to Morgan Stanley. So Morgan Stanley had a, a certain brand permission with its customers. Um, so it couldn't be crazy, wacky, groovy or whatever, because as you rightly point out, that's not who they are. It's a blue chip financial services organization. And internally, that's that's who they were as well. Um, but the disrupt, you know, disruption doesn't always have to be shouty. And what we did, what we did with Morgan Stanley was basically say, look, the big credit card guys were playing the the zero percent balance transfer game very aggressively at the time. And you know, although you know we were claiming a marketing cost of whatever it was, twenty eight pounds per customer. To bring in a new customer the actual cost by the time we looked at it including the zero percent balance transfer for six months or 12 months whatever it was plus zero percent for purchases plus whatever else we were giving away the actual promotional cost was somewhere near 200 pounds per new customer and so just looking at looking at the metrics in a different way creates the opportunity to do something else Apart from the finance director falling off his chair saying, you've been telling me it's 28 pounds, it's nearly 200 pounds. I said, well, just your finance, you're trained to add things up. You should have added it up yourself. And we decided what we could do, what, what actually Morgan Stanley was about and what, what our credit card offering should be about was, was around consumption being a really great way to pay for things. Because the problem with like balance transfer stuff is, is people just do the balance transfer and stick the card in a drawer. Whereas what we were about was about transactions. Morgan Stanley is about transactions and trading and consumption. And that's, that's what investment banks do. And so aligning the consumer bank with that was actually quite simple when we thought about it and had a lot more sort of tailwind to it within internally um, as a result. So we produce cards, we produce premium cards. And again, it was everything was about something that's the best way to pay. And it's about stuff that makes good financial sense. And so we just we would go up against American Express and we produce a card that was better, better for cash back, had better insurance products attached to it, all the rest of it. And that provided a, a, an internal narrative for the team that say, OK, we know what we're about. We're not, not worrying what Barclay Card are doing or what NatWest are doing. Or MBNA, where we're producing cards that that actually people want to use, and they'll put the other stuff in the drawer and they'll use ours. Um, <clears throat> it took us a while to pull this all this together. Again, the style of mail pack we were sending out changed. It was much much more high quality. It was much more premium to do that. I had to bring in a head of production, um, a guy called Jeremy Sharman, scoured the world to find ways of producing producing the kind of direct mail that we wanted to for a price that made sense. So you, you unearth all, you, know, you turn everything over two or three times to, to make it all sing off the same hymn sheet, to use a horrible cliche. And then we put it all back together again and, and sort of opened up all the channels and boom, you know, not only again, like the, the egg econometric analysis, not only did we get a huge bounce in terms of the customers, the number of customers we bring in, the, less cost to bring those customers in 
but we were also starting to impact again on the existing customer base, which had been sort of getting less and less active each month to the point, you know, customer sp existing customer spend on the credit card went up by 28% by changing this approach. Because again, we were talking to existing customers with our marketing as much as we were talking to new customers. So all of that required quite a lot of disrupting and horse trading and conversations with global brand Morgan Stanley in New York. And I had to, I was called up to the whatever 14th floor at Morgan Stanley Europe to basically tell them what it was we were doing with their brand and why it wasn't detrimental to the whole Morgan Stanley franchise. And you know, you have to, again, you, it's the, the horse trading and the diplomacy you have to do to get there. Um, but the results were phenomenal. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. And um, I mean, something that, that you, you mentioned as you were talking there was that a, a lot of the work is really about helping yourself and the team to know, know what you're about, because then understanding that focuses the attention. Because I think in marketing, it's it's maybe a case that a lot of people focus on tactics and particularly with digital different um, tactics and tools which are available when actually time perhaps should be spent on the bigger picture of what what are we actually about and who are we trying to target do you think that's a fair kind of assessment of the state of things at the moment uh, uh, absolutely right who are you yeah your internal brand um why why should a really bright young marketing person come and join your team what are they joining what is the mission that you're on um how will you know if you're being successful all of this stuff and then for the consumer who are you what is it what is the problem that you're solving um is is absolutely is absolutely paramount and just being able to articulate what your product is about for the customer you know, credit card isn't about borrowing. It's not about 0% balance transfer, which is effectively giving money away. Credit card is about consumption. And when you look at it, when you look at any product through that lens, it changes how you approach everything. Same with Sherpa and insurance. You know, it's not about getting a cheaper quote. Insurance is about, it's not even about protecting you. It's actually... The, if you've got a really good safety net, if you knew that no matter what life threw at you, at least financially, you can cope, you'll be fine. Imagine how much more fully you can live your life. You know, might you might take a little chance here and there, which some of them will pay off. You can actually live a better life because you're insured. It's not about a cost. It's not about a premium. Um, so understanding that then gives you a different narrative and a different conversation to have about what a good product looks like for you to build um, and how to communicate with your customers. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's a really interesting take on things. Um, so with that in mind, I wanted to sort of end our conversation with a question that I tend to pose to, to all of the no people, way. which is um, you, you've given a lot of advice and, and ideas in terms of how to approach things, but if you were speaking to to someone who is about to embark on a career in in marketing in finance, what would be the key things you would you would guide them to focus on um, that that's, that are really important for them? First of all, understand understand your boundaries at least as well as anyone else in the organisation, which is where we started off the conversation. 
understand legal, understand regulatory compliance, risk and finance. And when you're creating your marketing, your models, measurements, analysis, whatever else, take them along with you. Don't make them the people that then sort of throw sticks at you from the other side of the fence. Make sure that they're with you for the ride and they're actually supporters of you. Massively important. Secondly, yeah, know what your business is, and so, which is kind of the, the little bit we've just had. You know, what are you about? What does your product do? What does it actually do um, for the customer? And where does it fit into the world? If you're disruptive, if you're, everyone says we're a disruptive brand, we're a challenger brand, whatever, what are you challenging and why? And why is that better? And these sort of fundamental questions have to be answered in, in a way that when you communicate them, elicit a response from your market. It has to generate a reaction because that is what market ultimately is all about, is about generating a reaction. So make sure your, your team know it. Make sure that's what the other people in the organization in different functions know. Make sure you've got agencies that are kind of on board and capable of doing that. And take some chances. <clears throat> I look back now at some of the things we did in various businesses, and I think, my God, would I do that again? Because you have to put it on the line. Like I said, no matter which structure you're in, whether you're you know, the grand poobah of everything and, and have everything reporting into you, or whether you're having to do um, horse trading deals with global product silos to get stuff done, ultimately, your agency within that organization to do more stuff is going to depend on whether things work. <clears throat> so you better, you may as well try and make things work and maybe take a chance here or there because those are the ones that pay off. Those are the things that change the scoreboard for you and for the business. So don't be afraid to have a go. And never ever forget in marketing, it's an incredible, I've always regarded it as an incredible privilege whether you're producing a mail pack, a loose insert, a banner that's going onto a website somewhere, or a great big kick-ass TV campaign. Your privilege is you're putting stuff out there in the world for the world to see, and the world will see it. Um, and to do stuff like that that you can point to in the world and say, I did that, I was part of that, it's an enormous privilege, and we should never forget that and therefore treat it with the respect that it deserves to produce the very, very best work that we can. As always, I'd like to say a huge thank you to my guest, Patrick Muir. If you're interested in everything else that we're up to, please visit us at financialmarketeer.com. And until next time, take care.